this is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, episode 35. Don't get shod! Recorded on June 16th, 2016. Welcome to Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast with your host, me, Matt Lyons, and Jason Lucart. Jason, how are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, not as good as I was before that Kansas City series, but still pretty good. <laughs> if we could have done this podcast like three days earlier, it would have been such a happy podcast, I think. Maybe a little sleepier because of the West Coast road trip, but a lot happier. Yeah, that was a, not a fun series. Uh, a couple more of those one-run losses that we haven't had to talk about for about a month, uh, and then just a sort of blow out yesterday. Uh, <laughs> I know they're not going to say it, but I think that's definitely exhaustion. Had to be at least a little bit a part of that last game. Yeah, it's a long road trip with, you know, the, the time difference too. Um, and the good news is they're still tied for first. So they built a little cushion and could, I guess, afford to get swept. That's the good thing about not constantly being right around 500 or below it is you can have a losing streak and your season isn't bombed like last year. So um, we're going to have... Maybe a little bit depressing show, but it'll be a good one. We're going to have the game recaps. There was a draft last week, of course, and then we're going to talk about having a year of Francisco Lindor, and then just the overall terribleness of Jan Gomes and Brian Shaw, and Juan Uribe's own terrible night that he had a few nights ago. White Sox preview, and then we'll take a couple questions. So uh, we just going to start right with the game recaps here. Of course, they finished up the series with the Angels. Uh, they were 2-1 and one in that series, and then, of course, 0-3 against the Royals. On the good side of things, Jason Kipnis and Francisco Lindor each had seven hits on their own. Carlos Santana, three home runs. I don't think anybody else even had two over that span. Uh, and Cody Allen, no earned runs in three appearances over the last two series. Danny Salazar, he had a great outing against the Angels, uh, five and two-thirds innings with eight strikeouts. And then on the bad, of course, again, I think last week we had the same mention as Mike Napoli striking out a ton, although it was only nine times this time around. Brian Shaw, everything was terrible. And Tyler Naquin's, de- Tyler Naquin's defense, especially in this Royals series, was really bad. So um, what stuck out to you in particular in those last couple series? Um, well, on the positive side, Trevor Bauer continues to look good uh, when he's been out there, which is nice. Uh, yeah, on the negative side, that Kansas City series, uh, yeah, the, the Shaw thing, I know we'll get more into him. I, I've reached my turning point with him where after kind of feeling like I probably wasn't quite as down on him as a lot of other fans were. Uh, the last week has sort of <laughs> pushed me over the edge on him. Um, but yeah, just kind of squandered opportunities to win games. I mean, you know, playing against the Royals or the Tigers right now is sort of a, you know, a, a doubly important game uh, since those are the teams they're, you know, really competing with. So, yeah, in, in both of those one run losses, uh, there's a play you mentioned, you know, Naquin's defense. I don't know if it was his fault as much as whoever had him positioned so deep, uh, you know. But there was a little bloop fly ball uh, that a center fielder in a normal position would have been a pretty routine play, and he was really deep and ended up falling in. And uh, so yeah, just a lot of frustrating things like that. Um, you know, overall in terms of the where the team's at, you know, I'm still happy with where they're at. The offense mostly still looks good, with the uh, notable exception we'll get to a little later. Uh, Lindor continues to look awesome. It's a big week for Santana, which always makes me happy. Um, but yeah, just uh, to broken record, it, it's just little things that could have gone a little differently and you know, the Indians win two or three in Kansas City instead of getting swept. 
Yeah, I think you're definitely right. This is the right time to flip on Brian Shaw. Because last week we talked about, I mean, his ERA looked really bad, but it was just once in every while he was getting shelled. But the last three games, he's allowed at least one and run, and there was a home run in two of them. So it's not just the once in every moon he gets blown up thing. He just looks bad every time he goes on the mound now. Um, and then with Tyler Naquin, I don't know how closely you've watched this Kansas City series, but there were quite a few plays where it looked like it was clearly him, either not being deep enough or being too deep whether it was on him or the coach, and then making calls when he shouldn't have. There was the one, I guess it wasn't completely his fault when he ran into Lonnie Chisenhall. I don't think Lonnie Chisenhall heard him calling for it, but they both collided. And then there was one where he came charging in, where he definitely shouldn't have even called for it, because Lindor was right there, but he had to hold up, so uh, Nick tried to dive for it and missed. And then there was the other one you talked about where it just blooped in when he was too far out. So either somebody is having him stay way too far back, or he's doing it on his own. Either way, that needs to change somewhere. And that's kind of the thing we talked about before, is that Surprisingly enough, Naquin's offense has been fine, but there's something in his defense that obviously the Indians are noticing what they sent him down. And now that he kind of had to be brought up prematurely again, it's kind of showing um, he's kind of reaching that point where it's making a big difference that is being in a game once in a while. If he can get that center field defense together, I do like that outfield of uh, Davis, Naquin, and Chisholm Hall, I think. Um, at least offensively. Yeah. And, and even like defensively, you, said, is, uh, you know, Naquin's, he's hitting continuing to hit better, you know, that I think anyone really expected. Last week wasn't great for him, but, you know, for the last month, really good offense. Uh, and, yeah, the defense hasn't been, you know, quite as good as I feel like it was advertised. Um, and the positioning is just one of those things, like, we need to hit up, you know, Jordan or one of the beat writers to, to ask about it, if, if he's the one determining where he's playing or, you know, how much he's being coached on that. But yeah, like you said, he he's been out of position on a couple balls, uh, and that's frustrating. Yeah, and offensively, um, Paul Hoynes wrote the whole thing about how it's just him concentrating more, and he's seeing everything better in the majors, which I hope is a real difference and not just kind of a feel thing for a month. But that'd be really cool if he got if something clicked when he got to the majors, kind of like with Francisco Lindor. But of course, Lindor's problem was he was just quote unquote bored in the minors, and then he got to the majors and he was all of a sudden always in focus and now we see what he's turned into. So maybe it'll be the same thing for Nick, just hopefully better defense in a couple of weeks. Yeah, definitely. Especially when he's going to, you know, hold down center field for the time being. Yeah. Is there, um, so do you like that configuration of Davis, Naquin and Chisholm Hall? I mean, with what we have now, obviously when Brantley comes back, he should be in left, but is there anything you would do different? No, I mean, given given the guys on the roster right now, uh, I feel like the you know the the playing time and who's where. Uh, I've got no complaints about that. Yep, me neither. Um, I think I'm gonna get better going forward, but just a really bad series against the Royals. A really unfortunate time for it, but they get a day off today, which I think they really need. Which I don't mind because we're do- we're recording the podcast early now, so I don't have an obligation to watch any baseball or talk about any baseball tonight. So I'm just gonna watch a movie or something for once. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, so, you know, they, yeah, they get the day off, then they get to be at home for a week, uh, and then go out on another you know, fairly long road trip, another, uh, I think, 10-game trip, and uh, I don't think there's any days off during, they have another day off before the road trip, but it's another weird trip where they go to Detroit, which is fine, but then down to Atlanta, and then back up to Toronto, so the Indians have sort of a weird schedule this season with a lot of long road trips uh, and longer homestands. So we'll see how that plays out. The longer homestands potentially, you know, could be a nice boost. Uh, but they they haven't gotten, you know, like it was a long road trip. It's not their last one. So they're going to have to find ways to get 
through the travel and you know playing day after day after day without a break on a road and unless i'm just remembering it or made it up in my head somewhere i'm pretty sure one of the road trips is really long because of the um the rnc coming in and using the Cavs arena yes. the arena so one of the reasons they have such a long road trip is they requested it for that but and also somebody brought up the neat fact that if the Cavs go seven games, they want somebody to use progressive field. Like the corner has a big place to show it. Just imagine on that huge TV they just got. That'd be pretty cool. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, they've got this, they've got another 10 game road trip coming up in a week. Uh, and then I think right after the all-star break, they have another, uh, you know, three series. I don't know if it's nine or 10 games or however many games, but another three series road trip. So, I mean, between the all-star break and that road trip, I think they go uh, like more than two, Two weeks without playing a game at Progressive Field, which doesn't happen very often during the season. But then they have all they have more home games than road games after that trip. So, like if they if, if they're you know close to first place, uh, you know heading into late July, their schedule should be more favorable down the stretch. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. Just survive now until you get a whole bunch of home games, and it'll be worth it. Um, so, moving right along to the draft, which was last Thursday. Friday and Saturday, I believe. Maybe it went into Sunday. I don't know. A couple days. But anyway, the, the Indians in the first round, they selected Will Benson, uh, outfield out of Georgia prep. Second round was Nolan Jones. He was a third baseman. And then one of my favorite names <laughs> who they got in the compensatory round was Logan Ice. I don't know. That's a really cool catcher name to me. Um, yeah. Did you watch a lot of the draft? And I don't either of us follow college very much, but once they got on the Indians, did you look up anything interesting about any of the players? Uh, a little bit. I watched, you know, like the first round uh, on MLB TV. Uh, I was a little uh, thrown by the fact that Will Benson was born uh, the week after I graduated from high school. <laughs> that's so gonna we're, start. Not at, we're now at the point where <laughs> that's happening, which just <laughs> freaks me out. Um, I can remember the first like player who was younger than me, and that seemed like a big thing. And yeah, now we've got guys like you know, literally half my life has happened since they were born. Um, so, yeah, I know I, mean, I looked into things a little bit. Um, but beyond the first, you know, couple guys they picked, uh, I didn't look too close. I know they, they drafted, uh, I think it's Zach Plesak, who is the son of former major leaguer Dan Plesak. Yep. Uh, they drafted a Shane Bieber, who may or may not <laughs> be related to Justin Bieber. Uh, I feel like for a lot of us who who you know don't follow college and certainly not high school baseball, uh, we we just get drawn to the names that either we recognize something about or they're kind of fun names. So I can't say I know a whole lot more than that. Uh, Ulysses Cantu, I would love to see Ulysses Cantu make the Indians, um, but I, I can't provide anything commentary on the, the players actual abilities or what type of players they project as yeah that's pretty much right the only thing i saw was that will benson um based on just the size people are giving him like a jason hayward comparison but again that's just on size so it's just because he's a big he could be their right fielder or first baseman depending on how he grows in i think he's like six six so if he kind of yeah, grows i feel like jason hayward is who like 15 different draft picks got compared to i feel like if you're <laughs> right if you're if, big you're jason hayward and yeah so We'll see. Certainly, if he turns into Jason Hayward, that would be a great result. <laughs> and the best thing about Benson is that he just really seemed like he wants to be in Cleveland, which was cool. I know going in, he said uh, there was a chance that he might not sign when he gets drafted. But the, like the second, I don't think he signed yet. But, like the second he was drafted in his first interview, he was like, "I'm going to sign. I'm excited to be in Cleveland." He wants to do all kinds of work on and off the field. And then they don't 
Um, so far, all I've seen is that the Indians have signed their second round pick, Tanner Tully, and ninth round pick, Jose Nelson, who uh, one of our writers, Brian Heminger, actually got to interview, which if you haven't seen that, I'll try to remember to put it in the actual post. But that was a really good interview you did with him. He seems like a really good kid. Um, and then the only player that we know of so far that the Indians aren't going to get to keep is a 32nd round pick, Kramer Robinson, who's going to return to his senior year at LSU. Um, and that was posted, by the way, by Todd Paquette, which if nobody has followed him when he ran his old account, which was like Indians Insider. No, not Indians Insider. Something like that. But anyway, now he is just at Indians Pro on Twitter. He's really worth following if you just like minor leagues. And he gets really in-depth that he seems to know like everybody down there. So if you're yeah. just in minor leagues, give him a follow and a lot of good draft stuff. Agreed. You guys, lots of good stuff. Yep. So yeah, that is, <laughs> I'm with you. I don't know much about, other than just giving lazy comparisons, I don't know much about how they're going to pan out and play. But hopefully in a year, they'll be like where the kids last year drafted are playing in Lake County right now. And I'll be pretty happy with that. Yeah, I mean, for me, I just feel like the Indians have generally drafted pretty well for the last, you know, four or five years. Uh, so I'm, you know, pretty confident in the team they have making these decisions. You know, we've got a lot of exciting guys, you know, Bobby Bradley, a lot of the pitchers, uh, you know, higher up, of course, Frazier and Bradley, Zimmer. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for right now, until there's some evidence that this is going to be a really bad draft class, I'll just be sort of uh you know uninformed but optimistic about it yeah not to be like an lol pr sucks but it's kind of cool being really confident in the drafts for a few years in a row it's a nice feeling yep and so one of the players they drafted that panned out obviously was francisco lindor who debuted we're a little couple days past it now but june 14th we had our own little mini francisco lindor day um in his first year he has slashed 309 357 469 and he's been worth 7.3 Fangraphs war. And the only players above him in that uh, in the last year, of course, are Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, Josh Donaldson, and Mike Trout. So I guess he's been okay, you could say, <laughs> just a little bit. And he's been worth 14 defensive run saves. But my favorite way to look at his defense because of all the weird plays he makes is um, Fangraphs' inside edge pitching or inside edge defense. I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast yet, but basically what it is, it's, it's a bunch of scouts. They look at the plays that happen and they determine – is it impossible, remote, unlikely, even likely a routine? And that's based on, like, if it's 1% to 10% of being made, it's considered a remote uh, play. Unlikely is 10 to 40% and so on like that. So I like looking at that and just how Francisco Lindor shatters their percentages. So for remote, 1% to 10% is normally what people think they'd make. And Francisco Lindor has made 16% of those in the last year. Um, and then unlikely plays which obviously you're going to take some effort and may not always get made, but they're 10 to 40%. Francisco Lindor is 61% of those. And then even plays, uh, 40 to 60% is the estimate. Francisco Lindor, 86.7. And then a special interesting thing about that, I got a pop quiz for you. So only three shortstops this season have converted 100% of what Inside Edge would consider even plays. And don't you Google it. I hear a keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> One of them, obviously, is Francisco Lindor. He's, considered, he's converted every single even play. Another one is Alcides Escobar. Can you guess the third shortstop? No, I cannot possibly guess the third <laughs> shortstop. Uh, it is... It We're on is, an Indians podcast, and I like to just note random Indians players that used to do it. Uh, Even with that hint, I don't think you would know it unless you're just guessing the opposite of what you think the answer would be. Johnny Peralta? <laughs> no, it's as Jubal Cabrera. Ah! <laughs> the guy with all the range. Yeah, no, all this other stuff is way down, but for some reason, those plays that are like 40 to 60%, he nails them. <laughs> if they're just difficult enough, he seems to get them. But 
after watching him so many years in Cleveland, have the range of like duct tape. It's pretty cool to see he's doing something. I think he's on the Mets now, but yeah. Yes. Well, good for Ezra. <laughs> what was that? I said good for Ezra. It's good. Oh yeah. You know? There's, there's something to be said for for making the you know not the spectacular but getting to all the you know sort of fifty fifty balls. Yeah, the ones that are a little bit more different are difficult than um like likelier routine stuff. So yeah, one year of Lindor. Uh, what do you think? Are you excited? I mean, I, you better be excited. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what have you well, think of Lindor's think, first year? You know, his defense has been as advertised, uh, and his offense has been. You know, better than I think anyone could reasonably really have expected it to be. Uh, you know, if, if with his defense, he'd been a league average hitter for the last year, uh, you know, he'd be a really good player. And instead, uh, you know, using most metrics, he's been one of the 20 to 25, you know, best hitters in the American League uh, for the last year. Uh, and yeah, when you just said there's only four player, four position players in baseball who've been, you know, put up more war in the last year, which, I mean, that gives you a pretty clear sense of it. Uh, you know, when I wrote about him on the anniversary of it, I pointed out that, uh, you know, the, the only shortstops his age, who during kind of a normal baseball season at that age, had, had ever put up uh, 7.3 war uh, were Rogers Hornsby and Alex Rodriguez. And that's, you know, two of the 20 to 25 best players ever. So uh, <laughs> that's there's okay a lot company. of different ways you can say it. Uh, and, you know, what you're saying is that Lindor's been awesome. And, uh, you know, hopefully he keeps it up. And if he does, you know, he's not going to start the All-Star game this year, of course. Uh, but he'll make the All-Star team. And he'll make a lot of All-Star teams if he can keep it up. You don't know that. He still got a bunch of votes in the last minute. <laughs> Everybody's just waiting He's to see a bunch like... of votes. He's still not even in the top five, which I mean, <laughs> voters are idiots. But he should be a bad. I'm sure a coach or player, however they do the backups, they're going to select them. They better yeah, anyway. I, I Ned, Yo- if nothing else, Ned Yost will pick him. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know what else to say about Francisco Lindor. He's awesome. He hits. He hasn't really slumped offensively at all yet. He had a little one a couple of weeks ago. So maybe when that comes, he'll be a little bit worse. But even then. He could slump for like a month or two months. And I still wouldn't care. <laughs> He's just been so good. Yeah, so yeah. good. So enough of this whole talking about good players things. This, this is the Indians. They had a horrible week. Let's talk about some terrible players. So first, Jan Gomes. <laughs> just all season long. Um, he has a 167, 204, 339 slash, which is good for 40 wins created plus, or weighted runs created plus, which basically means he's 60% below what an average hitter should be. And even with his great offense, he's been worse. He's been worth negative war. So, not a great season for him. He's been wearing glasses lately. So, I guess apparently he's having some kind of vision problem. And of course, Roberto Perez got injured at the worst possible moment, which I think you, you have to admit my whole out there prediction of Perez getting more playtime than Gomes. If Perez hadn't gotten injured, he, he would have had it by now, right? Or eventually. I don't think he would have passed Gomes for like season plate appearances. <laughs> I think he would be getting more plate appearances than Gomes now and would you know if he was playing well eventually be passing him yeah i mean gomes is a disaster on offense right now uh i mentioned on twitter last night he doesn't have quite enough play appearances to be considered officially qualified for things like the batting race uh but if he were he'd have the absolute lowest batting average uh among all qualified major league players the absolute lowest on base percentage the absolute lowest uh you know weighted runs created plus which you just mentioned uh he's been literally like the worst hitter in baseball this year 
And his defense is good, uh, although I don't know that it's quite as good as it was a couple of years ago. But even with his defense, there's just no way to get by with that offense uh, and be you know, a worthwhile starter. I don't think the Indians have a better option right now. Uh, and I'm not quite as I, – I would be playing Perez above him, but I'm not quite as high on Perez as I know you are. Um, I don't think it's we're at a point where the Indians need to give up on Gomes, but it's certainly a, an area of serious concern. Uh, and right now, catcher is the biggest weakness on the team, I think. So you say biggest weakness. What do you think that'd be? Um, does that like correlate to biggest what they should be going for at the trade deadline? Like I know people have been talking about Jonathan Lucroy, who's hitting great for the Brewers, but there's going to be a huge bidding war for him. Do you think the Indians should be in on that or? It's just a weakness they kind of kind of have to deal with and basically work around it. Uh, I think given what Lacroix is going to cost, I don't think that would be a great move for the Indians. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if the people who are working with him every day uh, can spot anything they think you know rest and or just the passage of time is going to help out with. Um, but I mean, if he keeps playing, you know, five six games a week, he's going to have one of the worst offensive seasons uh, in, you know, in baseball history. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, I can't remember how many more weeks we're, we have before we can expect Perez back. Um, it's sometime around the all-star break. Cause it was like, he had a surgery on May 5th and it was five to eight weeks. So the earliest he could be back right around the all-star break probably. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think at this point, unfortunately, uh, you know, you just ride things out for the next month and, and hope Gomes gets things going. And if he doesn't, then when Perez gets back, uh, you know, you look at probably giving him a pretty good chunk of the playing time. And if he does well, then you give him the job. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, like you said, Gomes is, even with his defense, he's been below replacement level. Uh, and that's obviously terrible for a starter. I fully admit my love for Roberto Perez might not be completely well-placed, but I think when he gets back, he's going to be obviously better than goals because anybody can be if he gets the play time, but I think it'll be enough of a patch because like, he, he gets a ton of walks. He's a really underrated base runner. He's just smart at it. He's great on defense. As long as he can actually hit and make contact, he can hit home runs. So I am excited for him to get back. I wish he hadn't gotten injured. I think this could have been a really big year for him, but we'll see when he gets back, uh, hopefully by the All-Star break. At the worst... I mean, what, another three weeks, so he'd be back by, like, August, which at that point might be a little too late to really matter, I would think. But maybe if the Indians survive and they're right in the running, it would still make a difference. So yeah, way, I mean, the, back. There, like, the difference between, again, even with Jan Gomes having been probably the worst hitter in the major leagues this year, the Indians are tied for first place. Like, even with Michael Brantley having basically done nothing for the team, the Indians are tied for first place. Even with Carlos Carrasco having missed, like, there's all of these things uh and the indians are still tied for first place with the best run differential in division uh, i don't you know it's i don't think even if gomes doesn't turn around i don't think the season can be sunk because of him uh you know in the next couple months obviously at the end of the year if the indians miss the postseason by a game or two then you can say ah oh, geez yeah gomes terrible season was the difference um but i'm not worried that they're going to drop out of contention you know in the next month because of him i don't think they can like make a player get surgery, but I wonder if they'll heavily suggest that he gets LASIK in the offseason, if it really is. Because they haven't said, but I'm sure if they notice that it's something with Gomes' vision that's causing all this, if they'll like heavily push for him to get LASIK in the offseason. 
maybe that'll help. I don't know, but it would kind of suck to if this is what he is with the way his eyes now, the way his eyes are now, just to live through this for the next four or five months. But I guess we'll find out. Well, and like if it is his vision, like is it something that just wearing contact lenses? It would still be like I don't know. I don't. I don't know enough about. about well, I think he said that he's tried contacts, but he doesn't like them because he can feel them and the dirt gets in them and stuff. That's why he switched to the glasses. So at least part of it probably is the vision. It just depends on what the fix is. I don't know. As someone who wears contact lenses, it's baffling to me that someone like would refuse to wear contact lenses because of comfort issues or things like that. I mean, it's not like a regular person where you're like, oh, I don't want to, you know, like I lost my like. Take the contact lenses, like get a new pair of contact lenses every. <laughs> Every inning, if you want. It's not like Indians can afford yeah. more contacts. Well, I don't know. The Dolans are cheap, Jason. C-H-E-E-P. <laughs> I will send yeah. Jan some contact lenses. <laughs> we'll start a GoFundMe for it. But I don't know. As somebody who uh, is the opposite of you, I wear glasses because I don't want to touch my eye and put contacts in. Just ill gooey. I don't want to do that. But I can kind of understand. Well, but if I was a professional that, athlete, like, I would I get, get over it. I get having that. some level of aversion to it. But, like, you're getting... You're, like this is your job. Like if you're right. really, if I make ten million, you, million dollars based on my eyesight, maybe I would consider it. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like like comfort is one thing, but if it's if it's actually hindering his ability to do his job, like if that's really what it was, that, that would be pretty discouraging to me. And, and of course, we are just speculating. We don't know. It could be something different in the glasses. Because I think the reason he gave was that he got dirt in his eye once. That was the reason he first wore the glasses. Is he got dirt in his eye, and then he just kind of kept them on. But I don't know. Maybe it's something else with the swing. That'll fix, hopefully quickly. So somebody else that really needs to fix something is Brian Shaw. Three straight games, he's been terrible. Uh, two of those resulted, just straight losses from him. Terry Francona said he's sticking with him, quote-unquote, he does not want to, want to run away from Shaw. So first of all, how bad is Shaw right now? And do you agree that with Terry Francona leaving him as his setup man? Or do you think he should be, make a switch there? Like I said, the last week has be sort of been the turning point. Um, I mean, I remember saying in the comments a few weeks ago that I thought, you know, most of people's aversion to Shaw this season was based on a couple of really bad games early on that with for a reliever, it just takes forever to work a couple of bad games at the beginning of the season off your ERA. So his numbers, of course, still looked bad. Um, but in the few weeks since then, and especially his last few outings, uh, I have no confidence in him out there right now. Uh, and not that Jason Lucart's lack of confidence is the reason to make a change. Um, but it shouldn't be at all a surprise if Brian Shaw is not a great pitcher anymore. Um, I mean, he's been used really, really extensively for, uh, you know, going back to 2013, he's, he's pitched in more games uh, than any other pitcher since the beginning of two, 2013. Um, so, you know, the Indians have gotten a lot of use out of him, and he was a great kind of almost a throw-in in the trade that also brought Trevor Bauer. So I don't think we should be disappointed in the Brian Shaw era, but it, I, yeah, I, I would be working him in lower leverage, less important situations for a while. Uh, and if he does well, then, you know, let him try the eighth inning again, and maybe it was just a hiccup. Um but I'm ready to see someone else in those situations. Yeah, it's kind of a weird twist of fate that if this is, if his arm is just kind of blown now and this is what he is, it's kind of Terry Francona's fault for riding his guy so hard for so long. It's just kind of weird. Well, like, you know, when you say fault, I don't really blame Francona for having used right. him as much as he did because he did well. And I just think it's sort of the nature of being a relief pitcher that 
you know, Mariano Rivera is the exception. For the most part, relief pitchers who are good are good for, you know, maybe three or four years and then sort of fade out. Um, you know, so I don't think Francona has abused him or anything like that. Right, yeah, I'm not saying that. No. But, yeah, like, it, you know, if how much use he's got out of him means he's overly attached and overly loyal to him, then, yeah, that's certainly potentially an issue. Uh, and certainly his comments right now, you know, make it sound like he, if he's not going to make a change. Uh, but, I mean, if, if Shaw's next three outings are like his last three, I don't think... There he's got to have a leash at some point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's not really... I mean, you can just put anybody in the as a quote-unquote setup man, but there's no, like... Ben Heller isn't ready in the minors yet. He still walks too many. Same with John Armstrong. He was the one I thought would come up this year and be great as Armstrong, but he strikes out a ton of batters, but he walks even more than Shaw, so... Um, I think he allowed him to run the one time he was up, so he won't be up anytime soon again. I guess you could just try like Otero or McAllister, somebody else in the eights, but there's not a ton of great options. That's why I still think one of the big needs they're going to go for at the deadline is a bullpen arm. It doesn't really have to be a setup man, I don't think, just somebody else who can replace whoever is normally a sixth or seventh inning guy and bump somebody up to set up, I think it'd be fine. Um, yeah, I think they need to do something. It's not going to be Shaw forever. Like you said, move him into lower, rel- lower leverage situations. I wouldn't even consider moving him back right away because if he does good in lower leverage situations, maybe that doesn't necessarily mean he can go back to being a setup guy. If you get somebody else who's good late, just leave him there, I would say. I mean, don't ruin what's not, what's working in the bullpen. But right now, what obviously is not working is Brian Shaw. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Otero has, has been the team's best reliever this year. So certainly, I think he's kind of earned the right to get at least tried out in some higher leverage situations. Just like everyone uh, predicted, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Zach McAllister hasn't been great either. I mean, he's been better than Shaw. Um, and I feel like he's sort of next in line for the eighth inning. And I'd rather see McAllister there than Shaw right now. But again, I mean, if you look at his numbers, uh, he's no one's giving up home runs like Brian Shaw is giving up home runs. Um but otherwise, you know, McAllister's been, he's walking more guys. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's not like a, a you know, there's, there's not a guy who's just screaming out, this should be my job, this should be my job. Uh, mm. But Shaw, the last few weeks, is screaming out, this should not be my job. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. So, um, I guess enough of that, enough of Brian Shaw. We don't have to talk about this next one too long because, one, it's painful. Two, there might not be a whole to talk about. But Juan Uribe... A couple nights ago, 106 mile per hour shot off the bat, off the bat of Mike Trout. It one hopped right in front of Uribe. He couldn't get his glove over it in time, and it hit in a really bad spot. Um, he tried to make a throw, and then he was just immediately down and got carted off the field. But apparently, he wasn't wearing a cup. And he said the next couple days that maybe he was joking, maybe he wasn't. But he said he doesn't think they have one big enough for him. So first of all, Al won your eBay. Second of all, what do you think the long term? Because I mean, he still hasn't returned. He's not on the DL. Do you think they're going to need some kind of um, replacement for him. Is it just Jose Ramirez? Call somebody up, or what do you think they're going to do now that Juan Uribe is kind of nursing a really bad, but maybe not long-term injury? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think mostly it's just Jose Ramirez, who's basically already turned into an everyday player. Uh, he gets more time there. Uh, Uribe is fun to have on the team, uh, but he hasn't been very good, so I don't worry in terms of like him not being able to play as a big loss. Um, you know, if he did go on the DL, I suppose they'd call up someone else who could play third base. Uh, but I don't think they'd call up anyone who would actually play that much. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think the outfield that we've already talked about tonight, uh, you know, means Jose Ramirez can just 
know, play third base most of the time. Um, and yeah, I mean, what, what you mentioned about his explanation for why he was not wearing a cup. Uh, <laughs> former teammates of his, uh, you know, men who would have showered with Uribe. I can't remember who it was, but someone referred to showering with Uribe as being a humbling experience. Uh, <laughs> So I don't know what sort of size of sports equipment runs in. Uh, on some level, his explanation is apparently legitimate. I, I got to think after this, he's going to ask some sort of company to uh, make him a special one that fits, if that's the issue. And on a similar note, sort of, Jan Gomes, he had something happen to him a couple weeks ago. It was very close to what happened to Uribe. And apparently now he's wearing a cup that's coated in Kevlar. So <laughs> he had the problem. He is taking care of it. Do you have, uh, have you ever, have you suffered any uh, injuries of that nature in your life? The worst was when I was, I mean, I wasn't even that old. So, I mean, we were playing baseball uh, just like in the backyard. We weren't even hitting anything. We were just swinging a bat. But I was standing behind my brother. And then he swung and came back full force with the bat. That hurt a lot. <laughs> but that's, I think, about the worst that's ever happened to me. What about you? Uh, worst was when I was really young, probably even too young to fully grasp, uh, the reality of the injury, but I was like over and over running down a hallway and like flipping onto a bed with a wooden frame, uh, and did not stick the landing on one of those jumps. Or did you stick it just the wrong way? And, uh, yeah, other than that, just kind of the routine, you know, sort of like these, you know, playing some sport or another and you get hit. I think most guys have had to deal with it. It's been a while since I've had a bad one, so hopefully I'm not jinxing that. <laughs> yeah, we don't um, – what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, big um, props to Juan Uribe for just not throwing up on the field. I mean, <laughs> I've never been hit by a 106-mile-per-hour fastball, but every time it's even happened a little bit, just, like the first feeling you get is that you're going to throw up. So good for him. Yeah, 106 miles per hour, that's no joke. <laughs> and real quick, I didn't have this on our thing, but have you seen Robbie Grossman lately? Uh, no, I have not. I saw your post <laughs> about Robbie Grossman, but had not noticed his production until then. <laughs> he is Mickey Mantle right now. <laughs> it's insane. I don't know how that happened, but apparently the Indians let one of the best hitters ever go. <laughs> well, that's classic Dolan's for you. <laughs> exactly. I'm hoping... His backup's really high, so maybe it'll crash soon. But, I mean, we couldn't even tell him apart from Shane Robinson when he was here. So, I don't know. <laughs> I was confusing both of them with the University of Florida quarterbacks, so I had all sorts of problems. <laughs> right, and then now he's just the best ever. Maybe he's getting back at us specifically. See, everybody listens to this podcast, Jason. Everything in baseball that happens, happens because of us. And, uh, and I appreciate that, but sometimes I guess we just don't, uh, we don't think through the responsibility that comes with our power. <laughs> Trade for Mike Trout. So, um, moving on to the White Sox, who, are going to be, who the Indians are going to be playing starting tomorrow. Um, they are not a great team. <laughs> they were at the beginning of the year. They've fallen off heavily. Uh, I think the Indians, did they sweep them over four games, or did they lose one? I don't remember. But it was close. It wasn't good. Right now, they're ranked 14th in home runs, 11th in on-base percentage, 14th in slugging. This is all in the AL, by the way. 8th in strikeout percentage, which, with Chris Sale on the team, is great. Uh, 12th in ERA. Adam Eaton has been their best hitter by far. Uh, slashing 276, 363, 77. Chris Sale, he's just been a shade under Jose Quintana, but he's still been... I mean, I guess this is kind of a down Chris Sale year, quote-unquote, but he's he has a 294 ERA and only 24% strikeout rate, which for him would be a career low. For most other people, would be great. Um, what are you looking forward to in this White Sox series? Uh, yeah, well, like you said, they uh, <laughs> the wheels have come off their wagon 
about a week into May, the White Sox were uh, 23 and 10, which was the best record in the American League, pretty pretty comfortably by like three or four games. Uh, and at that time, since I live in Chicago, at least here, there was a lot of chatter about a potential Cubs White Sox World Series. Oh, uh, and since their 23 and 10 start, the White Sox are 500 now, so that means they've gone 10 and 23 since then, uh, which is the worst record in baseball. Uh, over that time. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I mean, not that I thought they were a 10 and 23 type team, uh, but a not a good team is, I think, you know, both of us kind of agreed going into the season. We weren't as worried about them as we were uh, the Tigers or Royals in terms of AL Central competition. Um, yeah, I mean, you'd certainly, you know, coming off a, a crummy series in Kansas City, uh, the White Sox are a nice team to face. Although, you know, their starting pitching's still really good. So, you know, on any given game, I wouldn't be super confident. Uh, you know, you mentioned Chris Sale having, for him, sort of a relatively down year. I know one of the things he's talked about is not going sort of maximum effort, uh, you know, every pitch and not trying to strike everyone out. Um, so I think he's, you know, he's been the best pitcher in the American League, you know, kind of since he became a starter in, I think, 2012. Um the Indians have had some really good games against him, but he's still not anyone I feel confident when the Indians are facing. And I don't, I should have looked it up before, but I, didn't, I don't think the Indians face Chris Sale. I'm pretty sure he just pitched last night, so they'll avoid him. Yeah, and I don't know if they'll run into James Shields, which, holy cow, he's been terrible. <laughs> you I was know, surprised in the first place they traded for him because I thought maybe the White Sox would realize, okay, we got to a hot start, but we're done now. But they're apparently still trying to plug stuff in there. It just didn't work. <laughs> again, and I think I talked about this I think maybe even last week, the White Sox just historically have not been willing to kind of give up on stuff. And, you know, it's early in the season. They're still, you know, they have a 500 record. I'm not saying they should necessarily give up. Um, but I just don't feel like, you know, their ownership and management is wired for that. So I'm not surprised they tried to go out and, you know, make what they hoped would be a big addition. Uh, but, yeah, that is really not looking like a good addition right now. Uh, Shields has been a mess. Uh, and I, I, is he the one who Bartolo Colon homered against? I think Bartolo Colon's home run came off of James Shields, and maybe that was, uh, maybe that was it. I think beyond the box score wrote on that, that Bartolo Colon ruined James Shields. But yeah, he's been a mess. So So, yeah, the Indians are a better team than the White Sox. I thought that going into the season, I thought that even when the White Sox were in first place, and I certainly think that now. Um, you know, so it's a matchup I'm happy for the Indians to have, uh, and hopefully they can take advantage of and at least win two of three and kind of get things, you know, headed in the right direction again. Um, I think, you know, like you said, they're not going to have to worry about Chris Sale, which is nice. Uh, I think, uh, they'll be going up against Quintana, will be pitching, uh, and then I think, uh, Rodin. Uh, Rodone, who's Rodone. I'm not sure if he's still a rookie or if he used up his rookie, but basically yeah, a rookie. Quintana, Shields, and then Rodon. Yeah. Um, and then Bauer, Salazar, and Carrasco uh, for the Indians. So I feel like, you know, those are, as most series are, the, the pitching matchups look pretty good for the Indians. Um, and the Indians have a better offense, so they ought to win at least a couple of the games. Yeah, I'd be happy with two out of three. I mean, I'd like a sweep, obviously, but... Then I get to post the Golden Go gif on Twitter. That's always fun. <laughs> but yeah, two out of three getting back on track could be good. 
I would like the Royals to lose more than the Indians do. <laughs> I like to be in first place. Yes. Although I, I guess now they're still tied. Tech. Yeah, and it means, and not that the White Sox are are out of it by any stretch. I mean, they're two and a half games back, but uh, the way they've been playing for more than a month now makes it feel like they're not a real competitor. Uh, and then the Tigers, you know, are also in the mix there. Um, yeah, even, even Kansas City, I feel like the Indians are the best team in the division, which doesn't mean they're going to win the division, but uh, I think it gives them the best chance. Yeah, it's not like the AL Central is a great division or anything. It's kind of plays into the Indians' advantage. That I mean, the Royals, I guess they're the best, other than the Indians. I mean, even maybe with the Indians, I'm not going to instantly say they're the best. But yeah, there's nobody that's going to run away with it either way, so... The Indians, at the very least, are going to be. It's going to be a fun season right until the end, either until total heartbreak in the last week, or they're in the playoffs. <laughs> so the last thing we're going to do today is we'll just do two quick uh, social media questions. Uh, by the way, if you want to ask us any question, you can send us on Twitter, Facebook, anything like that, and, and we will answer them either here or in a live hangout or live Facebook live video. So the first one comes from Twitter from Toby Toby Toby. He asks, "Would you would love to get your guys' thoughts on trade targets? I know that's technically not a question." Listen, Toby, we asked for questions. That was a statement. You could have phrased it as a question. <laughs> no, Toby's great. Yeah, he follows that could have been reworded as a question pretty easily. <laughs> I know. Come on, Toby. But no. Um, so is there anybody you're looking at for trade targets specifically? No. I know that's a crummy, boring answer, but there's not. Um, in part, just because I'm not ready to commit to the idea of giving up Frazier uh, or Zimmer and it, or like Bradley, and it's just hard to feel like they're going to get a big impact you know position player without giving up at least one of those guys so part of it is just my own aversion to what a big trade would mean um i feel like they need to add a reliever and that's uh not somewhere where they have to give up you know one of their top prospects um but i also don't know how to like target relief pitchers very well i mean when it comes time to trade for a guy in a few weeks, you know, you, you just look at the teams that are out of contention and look at who their good relievers are, I guess. Um, but we're not quite close enough to where there's likely to be a lot of trades for me to have done that kind of uh, roster examination yet. Yeah, that's what I am pretty much. No matter who they'd get, if they lie, if they traded Zimmer or Frazier, I wouldn't be too thrilled with the deadline, I don't think. And then as long as – I'm with you with – I just want a reliever. That's all I really want. Um, people mentioned like Daniel Hudson. I don't think that – Diamondbacks are ready to sell already, but if they are, I wouldn't mind going after him, depending on what it would take. But yeah, I don't have any yeah. big name targets either. I don't think they're going to go after an outfielder, a third baseman, or a catcher, really. I think the good thing is that the Indians aren't in a position where they need to go out and get a starting pitcher. Um, right. Because with as many teams in contention as there are, the few good starting pitchers that are actually available, the price will be sky high. No, so I mean, again, like I, I'm open to the possibility uh, of eventually, you know, trading away one of those prospects uh, if it really is, you know, a great opportunity. Um, but I want to wait closer to the deadline, just have a better sense of what I think the Indians really want uh, before trying to commit to anything. Uh, last question comes from Denver Tribe fan. He's a frequent on the on the posts and our comments, uh, follows us on Twitter and all that. And he asked, what would it take for Tito to give up on Shaw? I think we kind of talked about that a little bit earlier, just two or three more bad outings. Hopefully I would hate to see if he has three in a row like this, that Tito would keep holding on to him, but who knows? <laughs> yeah. I mean, same thing. I think like on some level, I admire Francona's loyalty to his players. I mean, I just, again, I think it comes into that just like, remembering for a second that these are actual people like you know the person who's in charge sticking with his guys i think is a good quality 
But yeah, there's got to come a time when you just recognize someone's not getting their job done. And while I know most Indians fans, myself now included, feel like Shaw's reached that point, I can sort of get that Francona hasn't. But yeah, one or two more bad games, and I feel like Francona, at that point, someone's got to get Francona on the phone and be like, listen, <laughs> we're taking this decision out of your hands, moving him out of the eighth inning. Yeah, you would hope. Okay, so that's all we have. Uh, thank you again for Toby, 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 and Denver Tribe fan for the questions. Uh, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, of course, visit letsgotribe.com. And thanks for listening. Thank you.